when the U.S. does become a global power with with internet with a lot of international influence, that's in the 20th century. And so Glennon writes about how this double government phenomenon emerges as well in the U.S. pretty much like it did in Britain uh, as a result of uh, a major uh, of the country becoming the steward of a huge empire, right? And so you have the dignified institutions, you know, like the crown. Uh, those that people had some nostalgia for, uh, those are called the Madisonian institutions for the U.S. under Glennon's framework. And uh, these would be those institutions laid out in the Constitution, Congress, the judiciary, and the presidency. And the national security aspect of it, or the part that really runs things, the efficient part that runs the empire, he calls these Trumanite, a Trumanite network, because it was the, the the foundation for it was established with the National Security Act of 1947, and uh, it's a network because there's so many organizations involved in this that the uh, for the person looking at national security decisions, it's very difficult to see where decisions actually get get made and who who makes them. And this is of course very useful for people really running things because if nobody is responsible is if everybody is responsible really nobody is responsible so this is this is part of how you have this foreign policy that never changes because no matter what disaster you have nobody's really held accountable for it so even when nominally we know like for example president bush uh was responsible for the iraq war and he said like i'm the decider right well it doesn't matter because there's a there's an immunity uh, for, uh to any sort of consequences it seems for for these things unless there's an immunity until there's not, as Trump, you know, found out getting impeached twice, uh, or as uh, Nixon found out, or John Kennedy found out. So, but but the state itself is even then, it, it's it operates in strange ways. If if you're gonna if you're gonna take on these forces, even as the president, it'll the resistance manifests itself in strange ways. Maybe assassination, maybe weird impeachment spectacles, uh, you know, all these sort of things. So. As with other people in the past, Glennon says that the U.S. was kind of unintentionally doing this. Okay, and this is probably a shortcoming of Glennon's work that this, uh, that it was a fit of, he almost says it was a fit of absence of mind, but he doesn't quite go that far. Uh, he ignores the ways that the national security state emerged from elite machinations, that they constructed it on purpose. But at least he's useful in saying, okay, the U.S. does have this kind of dualism of the state and that the democratic state does not have much control over foreign policy and U.S. imperialism. So this is, this is a, a step forward, at least in terms of acknowledging that aspect of it. Right. And we'll come back to some of the, your broader critique of Glennon's theory and where it falls short. But I think the using the term Madisonian and Trumanite sort of betrays these two historical epochs and the idea that um, in some way Truman was sort of the rise of this this institutionalized power elite. But that's sort of implying in a way that then what was the were there efficient institutions in America before 1947? Because some people could argue that um, even going back to Adam Smith, uh, he said that, you know, civil government, so far as it's instituted for the security property, is in reality instituted for the defense of the rich against the poor. And Michael Parenti calls that the gangster state. Madison and Jefferson themselves were pretty openly anti-democracy because they understood that the American government was constituted to protect the rich. So 
is this more of a the Trumanite network? Is it an extension out of it? Is it a, a global network as opposed to maybe a domestic network for elite control? Or what sets apart uh, this Madison, Mad Madisonian uh, institutions from the Trumanite network in terms of looking at things like the rise of the Council on Foreign Relations or the Fed and some things that actually came out of the British Empire right at the turn of the century uh, as they sort of built this nexus of London and Wall Street financial power. That is sort of a cradle or a birthplace for this uh, that evolves into this institutionalized form. But what really sets it apart? And is there a dividing line there with Truman that uh, is, is Glennon founded in laying down that dividing line? Yeah, this gets into the, some of the historical aspects of it, but I think that they're worth looking at. The, it's not a complete 180 that the U.S. does when it enters into World War II. Uh, the history of the early part of the 20th century and the late 1800s are the U.S. empire expanding with the uh, Spanish-American War, the annexation of Hawaii, the U.S. participation in the Boxer Rebellion and the Open Door. And that leads up to U.S. entry into World War I which was really an imperialist war and a war that the U.S. enters into for not so much, not altruistic reasons, but really, you know, greed. I mean, I think you, you have to say it. The, uh, they made enormous amounts of money on the war. It, it created a, a, it helped corporate interests a whole lot. And in 1917, when the Russians are defeated, potentially looks like you're going to get either a German victory or a stalemate. And probably the only reason that the allies prevail is because of uh, the U.S. be the most powerful country in the world in terms of industrial capacity and resources that they enter in on the side of the allies. And the U.S. had been neutral. The public didn't really want this war, but they enter because of, you know, massive mobilization propaganda campaign. These same forces that would propel the U.S. to go for empire uh, during World War II, they make that decision. And so there was more, the forces that led to the creation of the Trumanite network were rising in power all throughout the latter part of the 1800s and the early part of the 1900s of the 20th century. So this is something worth keeping in mind for understanding the, the genealogy of the American empire, that these, in, these massive uh, concentrations of capital, of wealth, especially Morgan and Rockefeller, they, were, they looked overseas for resources and markets. And they did have a relationship with the British elites, like the roundtable uh, groups set up by uh, Milner and uh, Cecil Rhodes. They, the sister version of it in New York was the Council on Foreign Relations, established with you know, Wall Street and Rockefeller money. These are the people that planned the United States entry into World War II. And these are the people that put Truman in power anyway. I mean, Truman, it's funny that he would focus on Truman when Truman's main uh, attractive quality to the American oligarchy that basically parachuted him into the vice presidency to take over for FDR. His main quality was that he was just co-optable, that he was a guy who served people in power and that he didn't have any basis for being an independent statesman. He wasn't especially brilliant or well-versed in uh, understanding the so elites in the American you know, social system. He was a guy that was just uh, could be manipulated. And so he creates all of these networks. So there's a lot, it, there's a lot of intentionality on the part of the elites, but it's carried out through the, a vessel like Truman. And so I, I think that that's the way you want to look at the rise of the American version and how it does connect to uh, extant forces in American society that we're looking for uh, imperial expansion and uh, lots of money to be made anywhere in the world.
Yeah, one of the more interesting parts of this chapter, Aaron, is you recount what was revealed by Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers whistleblower, in his memoir, The Doomsday Machine, which was recently published. I mean, I read this book and, and it blew my mind. I mean, some of the information that he revealed in this. And you talk about one of the, the most chilling revelations, which is the, the Joint Strategic Capabilities Plan, the JSCP. You can talk about what that is. But this essentially revealed that the U.S. military was operating essentially separately from the, the public state, from the political class, and had these plans for nuclear war on Soviet Union and China, and stated very clearly that, quote, the basic military objective of the U.S. armed forces is the defeat of the Sino-Soviet bloc, which is actually pretty ironic because we know about the Sino-Soviet split. The Soviet Union and China ended up falling out and having a lot of differences between them, largely, not entirely, but partially because of U.S. attempts to divide them. But anyway, the point is that Ellsberg revealed in his book that the U.S. military had made plans that if there was a war that broke out, by simply the way the technology was set up, it could not be changed. The policy could not be changed. The U.S. were to launch nuclear weapons, would launch nuclear weapons on both the Soviet Union and China, destroying both. And we now know, as you mentioned in your book, that that would lead to nuclear winter and the potential death of humanity. But anyway, the point is, I, I kind of stole the thunder there a little bit, but I, I just wanted to emphasize how extreme those revelations were in that book by Ellsberg, The Doomsday Machine. And, and in my view, it got tragically little coverage. So anyway, t talk about the role of Ellsberg in this and what this the uh, Joint Strategic Capabilities Plan says about the state, the dual state and military autonomy in the U.S. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.